When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, we get questions. We get lots of questions. Questions about what we call the botanical method aquarium. It's sort of a, sort of a funny or silly name for a rather serious approach to aquarium keeping. Like, what does it all mean? How does it all work? And doesn't the whole idea seem a bit, well, crazy? I mean, it does seem a bit crazy, doesn't it? I mean, we're telling you to do stuff that seems like it's the perfect recipe for a dirty tank. And I say dirty in air quotes. We espouse literally throwing in leaves, twigs, and seed pods in your aquarium and allowing them to recruit fungal growths, bacterial biofilms, and ultimately to decompose in the tank. We value the resulting detritus and all the life forms which accompany it. And this is absolutely the opposite of pretty much any methodology which has been presented to the aquarium poppy for, I don't know, generations. Yet it's definitely one of those things that does seem counterintuitive, I getcha, at least based on the current hobby narrative of what's considered, you know, best practices. In the aquarium hobby, we seem to have this idea that aquariums should be absolutely pristine and not filled with decomposing organic materials. It's a philosophy that's no doubt grounded in trying to help the greatest number of aquarists develop good habits. And it's perpetuated on social media with thousands of these, you know, surgically sterile so-called natural aquariums thrown into our news feeds daily. I can't necessarily trash on the idea of preaching good habits. I just can't. I mean, I do. I mean, proper water quality management and routines are important for long-term success. A tank full of uneaten fish food and fish waste is a recipe for trouble. However, I think that somewhere along the way, we went a little overboard and started to obsess about the cleanliness of our tanks to the point where almost any algae, detritus, and heaven forbid, biofilms and fungal growth would be interpreted as a sign of disaster. So we scrub and scrape and we siphon. And I think that this doctrine of radical cleanliness has actually caused more problems than it's solved. In our pursuit of this radical cleanliness, we've disrupted beneficial biological processes and dramatically slowed down, limited, or even failed to foster significant microbiomes in our aquaria, which I believe has resulted in a lot of tanks with instability and wildly fluctuating environmental parameters. Now, ironically, these conditions are the very things that drive many hobbyists to keep their tanks obsessively clean in the first place. It's kind of a vicious circle, isn't it? As a result, we've developed a sort of a dependency on, you know, high-priced filters, media, and additives as sort of a crutch to make up for the self-inflicted biological shortcomings of our systems. In my humble opinion, we've sort of lost touch with nature and the accompanying skill set required to successfully work with natural processes to manage long-term sustainable aquarium systems. We've taken it to a crazy extreme. I say trust nature a bit more. I've almost adapted a radically opposing philosophy to this that says clean equals unstable. Seriously, 
On a basic biological level, that's what I think the hobby-accepted definition of clean means in practice. Unstable because it's essentially fighting natural processes in order to keep a physically clean environment. It replaces biology with mechanical cleanliness or mechanical dependency on cleanliness. The reality is that we can and should find a middle ground between complex or, or excuse me, complete disregard uh, for basic aquarium husbandry and a fanatical effort to create surgical sterility in our tank. There is a happy ground, a happy middle ground. For some reason, though, the hobby as a whole has found it tricky to walk this line. I think our approach can fill that void. If anything, the botanical method is a sort of a call to pull us back towards the side of nature, relying not only on good old hobbyist common sense and effort, but to form an alliance with the many organisms which comprise the microbiome in our aquariums. And it all starts with understanding what some of these organisms are, why they're beneficial, and allowing them to emerge and proliferate in our aquariums. Now, we talk glowingly about, you know, recruiting biofilms and fungal growths on these decomposing materials to serve as a nutrient processing system. The aquarium itself, or more specifically, the botanical materials which comprise the botanical method aquarium infrastructure, act as a biological filter system, or more precisely, a filter media upon which these organisms grow. The botanical materials that are present in our systems provide this enormous surface area upon which beneficial bacterial biofilms and fungal growths can colonize. These life forms utilize the organic compounds present in the water and on these materials as a nutritional source. Oh, the part about the biofilms and fungal growths does sound familiar, doesn't it? We talk about it a lot. Let's just talk about our buddies, the biofilms and fungal growths, just a bit more. One more time. Because nothing seems as contrary to many hobbyists than to sing the praises of these gooey-looking strands of, you know, bacterial goodness here, right? Now, structurally, biofilms are surprisingly strong, and they offer their colonial members sort of onboard nutritional sources, exchange of metabolites, protection, and cellular communication. Boy, did I botch that. Cellular communication. I have a problem saying that word for some reason. (laughs) They form, you know, really rapidly on just about any hard surface that's submerged in water. When I see aquarium work, you know, videos or podcasts or blogs, whatever, when I see this or hear this stuff where biofilms are considered a nuisance and suggest, you know, suggestions that it can be eliminated by reducing nutrients in the aquarium are made, I usually cringe. Mainly because no matter what you do, biofilms are ubiquitous. They're always present in our systems. Resistance is futile. We may not see the famous long stringy snot of our nightmares, but the reality is that they're always present in our tanks to a certain extent regardless, somewhere in our system. The other reality really is that biofilms are something that we as aquarists typically fear because of the way they look. In and of themselves, biofilms are not harmful to our fishes. I can't say that enough. They function not only as a means to sequester and process nutrients, a filter of sorts, I guess, they also represent a beneficial food source for a lot of fishes. Now, look, I can see rare scenarios where massive amounts of biofilms, you know, relative to the water volume of the aquarium, can consume significant quantities of oxygen, because that's what they do, and then be problematic for the fishes which reside in your tank. And these explosions in biofilm growth are usually the result of adding too much botanical material too quickly to the aquarium. They're exacerbated by insufficient oxygen or circulation within the aquarium. Now, these are really unusual circumstances resulting from a combination of missteps by, yeah, you get it, the aquarist. That's us. <laughs> Typically, however, biofilms are far more beneficial than they are even remotely detrimental to our aquariums. Nutrients in the water column, even when low concentrations, are delivered to the biofilm through a complex system of water channels where they're absorbed 
into the biofilm matrix, where they become available to the individual cells. Now, some biologists feel that this uh, efficient method of gathering energy might be a major evolutionary advantage for biofilms, which live in particularly turbid or turbulent ecosystems like streams or, for that matter, aquariums with a lot of flow, where nutrient concentrations are typically lower and quite widely dispersed. You know, there's sort of safety in numbers, right? Um, Biofilms have been used successfully in water and wastewater treatment and recovery for well over 100 years. This is not new stuff. In such filtration systems, the filter medium, typically sand, offers a tremendous amount of surface area for the microbes to attach to and to feed upon the organic material in the water that's being treated. The formation of biofilms on the media consume the undesirable organics in the water, effectively filtering it. What's the hardest part about dealing with biofilms? Really, it's accepting their, I don't know, unique you know, appearance and wrapping your head around the fact that these life forms are desirable and normal and not something to be freaked out about. So when you're starting up a botanical method aquarium, you'd be well advised to adopt the mindset that you're creating a small closed aquatic ecosystem with a variety of unique life forms coexisting at a number of different levels. And the point of it all is not just to construct an ecology, but to provide a form of supplemental nutrition for the various inhabitants of your aquarium. Now, one thing that's unique about the botanical method approach is that we tend to accept the idea that decomposing materials accumulating in our systems are okay. We understand that they act to a certain extent as fuel for the micro and macro fauna which reside in the aquarium and that they perform this function as long as they're present in the system. Our aquariums, much like the wild habitats that we're obsessed with recreating, are constantly evolving. They're accumulating new materials and creating new physical habitats for fishes to forage among. New food sources and new chemical and energy inputs are important to the biological diversity and the continuity of flooded forests and streams of the tropics, and they play a similar role in our aquariums. So when you set up your new tank and add a whole bunch of leaves and seed pods, you're essentially mimicking many of the processes which occur in the wild that foster a growing dynamic ecology. And that includes the appearance and the proliferation of biofilm and that other stringy-looking stuff, fungi. Now, the fungi, which we... Uh, find in our botanical method aquariums are known as aquatic hyphomycites, which produce enzymes which break down botanical materials in the water. Essentially, they are the primary influences of leaf maceration in the wild. They're remarkably efficient at what they do, too. In as little as three weeks, as much as 15% of the decomposing leaf biomass in many aquatic habitats is effectively processed by fungi, according to one study that I found. Aquatic hyphomycites play a key role in the decomposition of plant litter of terrestrial origin, an ecological process in rainforest streams that allows for the transfer of energy and nutrients to higher trophic levels, in other words, other organisms along the food chain. Read that, you know, think think about that again for a second. That's what ecologists call nutrient cycling. These fungi colonies, uh, you know, will form on leaf litter and twigs and stuff like that almost immediately after they're immersed in water. And these fungi, uh, you know, mineralize organic carbon and nutrients and convert coarse particulate matter into fine particulate organic matter. They also increase increase the leaf litter palatability to shredders, which are fishes and other aquatic organisms, which consume leaf litter as part of their diet. And this helps facilitate the physical fragmentation or the breaking up of the stuff. Fungi tend to colonize wood and botanical materials because they offer them a lot of surface area to thrive and live out their life cycle. And of course, the abundant cellulose, hemocellulose, and lignin, the major components of wood and botanical materials, 
are easily degraded by fungi, which possess enzymes that can digest and assimilate these materials and their associated organics. Fungi are regarded by biologists to be the dominant organisms associated with decaying leaves and streams. I just said that before, and I'm going to say it again. But that gives you some idea as to why we see these in our botanical method aquariums, right? In aquarium work, we see fungal colonization you know, on wood and on leaves like all the time. And we collectively just shit ourselves when it appears in our tanks. Yeah, it's really nothing compared to the abundance of this stuff in nature. I think most hobbyists will look on in complete horror if they saw the same extensive amount of fungal growth on their carefully selected artistically arranged wood pieces as they would in, I don't know, virtually any aquatic habitat in nature. Yet it's one of the most common, elegant, and beneficial life forms which occurs in natural aquatic habitats. And it's everywhere. Of course, fungal colonization of wooden botanicals is but one stage of a very long process, which occurs in nature and in our aquariums. And as hobbyists, once we see those first signs of this stuff, the majority of us tend to reach for the algae scraper or the brush, and we try to remove as much of it as possible, like immediately. And sure, this might provide some aesthetic relief for some period of time, but it comes right back, because the materials will provide a continuous source of food and colonization sites for fungal growths for some time. Ultimately, in the aquarium, it'll typically subside to a more... I don't know, aesthetically tolerable level, but it'll always be present in an aquarium in which, you know, botanical materials are available for it to colonize. Now, I know that the idea of circumventing this stuff by removing it upon initial appearance is so appealing to so many people, but the reality is that you're actually interrupting an essential, ecologically beneficial natural process. And as we know, nature abhors a vacuum, and new growths are simply going to return to fill the void, thus prolonging the process you're trying to speed up. My advice, let it play out. Your tank will be just fine. Trust me on this. Again, think about the role of fungi in nature. Fungal colonization facilitates the access to the energy trapped in tree leaves and other botanical materials that are found in tropical streams, you know, and this enables a variety of other organisms to utilize that energy. As we know by now, fungi play a huge role in the decomposition of leaves, both in the wild and in our tanks. By utilizing special enzymes, aquatic fungi can degrade most of the molecular components in leaves like cellulose, hemocellulose, starch, pectin, and even lignin rather quickly. Fungi, though not the most attractive-looking organisms, are incredibly useful, and they play well with a surprisingly large number of aquatic life forms to create these substantial food webs both in the wild and in our aquariums, I believe. Natural habitats are absolutely filled with this stuff. It's like the whole game here. It's an explosion of life-giving materials, and it's free for the taking. It doesn't look like the dude's, you know, pristine nature aquarium on Instagram, so we freak the fuck out about it when it shows up. I get it. Contest judges would never accept this sloppiness, so we have to remove it immediately. That's our mind. My, my call to you, just don't. Please, think about it for a bit. Yeah, it's another one of those mental shifts that we talk about. One of which many of you have already made, no doubt. And I certainly look forward to seeing many examples of us utilizing what we've got to the advantage of our fishes. In other words, let the stuff stick around. Again, a truly natural aquarium is not sterile. It encourages the accumulation of organic materials and other nutrients, not in excess, of course, but it encourages some accumulation. Fungi are an important food item for other life forms in the aquatic environments that we love so much as well. In uh, one study I stumbled upon, gut content analysis of over 100 different aquatic insects collected from submerged wood and leaves showed that fungi comprised part of the diet of more than 60% of them, and in turn, 
aquatic fungi, we're found in gut content analysis of many species of fishes, which not only consume the insects, but consume fungi or fungal growths directly. Now, there is one consideration. Bacteria, i.e. biofilms, and fungi that decompose decaying plant matter in turn consume dissolved oxygen for respiration during the process. We've talked about this before, right? This is one reason why we've told you for years that adding a huge amount of botanical material at one time to an established stable aquarium is a recipe for disaster. There's simply not enough fungal growth or bacteria to handle it, and they reproduce extremely rapidly to compensate, consuming significant oxygen in the process. And this is a recipe for the typical botanical method aquarium disaster that we see every once in a while. Thank God not very often these days, but every once in a while someone will have that. It's bad news for the impatient. So learn to appreciate going slowly and to accept these life forms in your tanks. Yeah, I admit decades ago, I freaked out about seeing fungal growths in my tanks too. I'd get a bit scared wondering if, you know, something was wrong and how come no one else's aquariums ever seemed to look like mine? I used to think something was really, really wrong there. So to reassure myself, I would stare for hours at underwater photos taken in the Amazon region or, you know, South, Southeast Asia and showing decaying leaves, biofilms, and fungi all over the leaf litter. I'd read studies by researchers like Henderson and Walker detailing the dynamics of, you know, wild leaf litter zones and how productive and unique they were and how a wide variety of organisms sort of worked together to make up the ecosystem. And I remember telling myself that what I was seeing in my tanks was remarkably similar to what I saw in these images and later on in videos of wild aquatic habitats that I wanted to replicate. They seemed to look and even function so similarly. So I'd pour over my water quality test, being the good aquarist, the reefer that I was, confirming for myself that everything was okay, and it always was. And of course, I would watch my fishes for any signs of distress. I never saw them. Truth be known, I kind of knew there wouldn't be any issues because I created my aquariums with a solid embrace of basic aquatic biology. I'm no genius, but I understood what I was looking at. And an understanding that an aquarium is not some sort of underwater art installation, but rather a living, breathing microcosm of organisms which work together to create a biome. And that the appearance of the aquarium only tells a very small part of the story. There's more going on in our tanks than meets the eye, literally. Support, codependency, symbiosis, whatever you want to call it, the presence of fungi and biofilms in aquatic ecosystems is extremely important to the other organisms that live there. You can call it free biological filtration and food for your aquarium. It's great news for the patient, the studious, and the accepting. We're creating a big interwoven set of ecological dependencies in our botanical method aquariums, one which benefits life forms on a variety of levels. Now that's just a very basic, generalized overview of how it all works. Stay curious, stay intrigued, stay diligent, stay brave, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tent and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.